0: Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Lucas Stock, and with me, as always, is...
1: Jens Nelson.
0: This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we explore, discuss, and grow as followers of Christ. What's up, dude?
1: Not a lot. Uh, Life is pretty good. My wife and I went for nearly a four-mile walk last night. Very uh unexpectedly we we did not anticipate doing so when we set out we were like we're gonna take Dang. this path it's gonna be quick gonna be easy but like <laughs> there, you know like COVID is changing a lot of like just standard operating procedures when you're out in public you know and people are like on the same side of the street as you or mm. coming towards you you know you go to the other side or um you know i don't know you're wearing a mask or whatever but we decided like there was a bunch of people the way that we wanted to go so instead of going left we went right and, like, mm-hmm. from there, we just kept saying, like, oh, like, let's go this way. Let's go this way. Oh, I want to walk to the neighborhood I grew up in. So, like, we walked all the way to, like, my childhood neighborhood. And then, like, to my childhood elementary school. And then, like, <laughs> all the way back. Um, wow. And I forgot to mention, I we live in, like, my childhood hometown that I lived in from birth till age nine. Um, so, it was, like, literally a walk down memory lane um, last night. So, that was kind of fun. I don't know.
0: Man, that's cool. Yeah.
1: But it was much nice. longer than anticipated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's uh i uh, yeah i just i can't even imagine just that sounds so terrible just walking i no, wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't too bad we, well i mean i, mean, thing, I is, guess it's like walking to like seeing things is a little different than like right you know walking on a treadmill for four miles or whatever yeah
1: that's true i mean we uh, like one of the things that i really like is we well either we talk about things that are um you know, like, we're, we're thinking about buying a new car. And so, like, we've had conversations mm-hmm. about that on these walks. Sometimes we've talked about, like, theological things or whatever. But, like, there's always, like, something that, like, makes it... It's not like we're just walking four miles in silence. Like, I feel like that would mm-hmm. be a <laughs> lot harder. But, you know, we, you know... Yeah. Especially last night, pointing out, like, oh, like, I remember, like, this. And I remember this. And I remember this about, you know, my old neighborhood or my old school or whatever. But, nice. I don't know. Yeah, it was kind of fun.
0: That sounds pretty cool. Very nice. Very nice. Well today we are diving we're sort of continuing our like informal two-part catholic series last week we talked about the papacy and specifically sort of the major claims about the papacy that rome has Um, and we're doing something a little similar but but also different um this week we're talking about three marian dogmas is what we'll call it so the those doctrines about Mary that Rome confesses and believes and teaches as um, essential essential truths about the Christian faith. Yeah. Um, As we we were just kind of doing some some double fact-checking before we hit record, there is a fourth Marian dogma, which is that she is the mother of God, in Greek the Theotokos. Um, We're not going to be talking about that one because short answer – we agree 100%. And the longer answer is that would probably, I would say that warrants a full episode on its own anyway. Yep. So maybe we'll do that sometime down the road, but it, it we're, we're choosing the three that we have some more questions about um, because these are the three, the ones we'll talk about today, are the three that are unique to Rome in terms of them being dogmas. There are other Christians who believe these things about Mary, Um, But only Rome has made them sort of official, essential teachings of the faith, um, which is kind of an interesting conversation, especially following our conversation on the papacy last time. Um, And also, these are also things that growing up evangelical, Southern Baptist, I never really heard about these things, certainly not in a way that I would have fully grasped what was going on. So these are also just more interesting to me. I mean... It's not like I heard about Mary being the mother of God in my Baptist churches either, unfortunately, but especially these things, I just I find them very interesting to talk about. Um, so I thought we would you know give it a give it a whirl, you know I don't know before we hop into the first one, is there any is there any other like disclaimers or thoughts you want to put out there ahead of time?
1: Yeah, like our last episode, again, we do not speak as Catholics. Um, we just speak as sort of outs- outsiders looking in. But also as Protestants, uh, these are some of the things that I think we often have knee-jerk reactions to, not necessarily because we, we think they're wrong or we have like a solid understanding of why we think they're wrong. I think sometimes we just have knee-jerk reactions to anything Catholic and that's not always fair. And so I, what I like about this episode and what we're doing you know, both last week and this week is just sort of like evaluating them on their own terms as opposed to like maybe caricatures or like just, I don't know, not well-informed opinions. Uh, So yeah, we might not be experts, but we've at least done a little bit of reading and we can look at scripture, we can look at tradition, and we can sort of evaluate these dogmas. And if you don't know what the word dogma means, I don't, you know, it's maybe helpful to just give a, a simple Google definition just so you understand. Um, sure. Google the great the great overlord says uh, a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly true. Um, so it's like an an essential doctrine. It's something that's like this is true and there's nothing that you can say about it. Um, you know, like and the tr- if like you the don't Trinity. believe
0: it, that means you don't believe. If we're talking about Christian dogma, that means you right. don't believe the Christian faith, at least not right. correctly.
1: Right, and so as like for Protestants, you know, the Trinity would be like a dogma, like the the resurrection, the it crucifixion; better be. uh, those should be dogmas. Um, and so we're adding, in in Roman Catholic theology, the things that we're about to talk about these these Marian dogmas are right there in line, right next to those things: the Trinity, the resurrection, you know, some pretty foundational doctrines. So it's it's more yeah. or less saying these are foundational; these are like Everything comes up off of these. And so that's why I think it's really cool to look at them um, and not just to have that knee-jerk, like, oh, I'm not even going to think about it because it's Catholic. I don't think that's a good, healthy attitude to (laughs) have. So,
0: Yeah, I think that I agree that's not a healthy attitude. At best, it's silly and pointless, and at worst, you're really missing, like, beautiful truths about God. So not exactly a place we want to be in. So we want to, like you said, Examine these things on their own terms in a way that's not knee-jerky or just jerky in general. <laughs> like we want to be <laughs> just uh, uh, having a conversation as we sort of think through scripturally, theologically, these three things about Mary that we don't necessarily agree with. Maybe we do. We don't. You know. We'll see. I guess. Um, but we have a difference on the importance of them, and and maybe not even the. Im- importance of them. I think a better way to put that is just um whether or not we we are comfortable saying these things are essential for Christians to believe. That's right. the that's the question is that, that I think really separates us from Rome on on these points. And as we'll see, especially with with two of the three, um that's the real the real question. So right. um I guess we can maybe hop into what is maybe the biggest one first um which at least to me it, it, the way i picture it in my mind is the biggest one which is the immaculate conception um the idea that mary was born, no the immaculate conception is not jesus being born of a virgin right. that's not the immaculate conception so although that is, is a conception an, an immaculate conception <laughs> <laughs> that's always <Right>. confused me <laughs> Um, I, I've seen that sometimes pop up even even just this week online um, that like that misunderstanding and, and that is that is, the virginal conception is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the immaculate conception, which refers to Mary's conception. Um, when Mary was conceived uh, by her parents, she was conceived in a, a special miraculous way. That's why it's immaculate, that protected her from original sin. So so that she was born without the stain of of sin. And the reason for that is because she was to become the mother of Jesus. She right. was going to bear the incarnate Lord in her womb, so she needed to be protected from sin in order to protect Jesus from sin. I think is sort of how I would maybe describe what's going on there, Um, which is certainly an interesting thought. I think that I can see where someone would be coming from because they're thinking, oh, you know, God is holy. So when God comes down as a human, it makes sense that the mother who he is entering the world through would need to be in some ways special, in some ways holy, maybe. Um, and this seems to be like a logical kind of thing of, you know, in order for Jesus's mother to be a, you know, maybe we could say an appropriate place for Jesus to, to grow as, an, as a fetus, as an infant, you know, protecting her from, it's not really protecting her, but her not having original sin protects Jesus, you know, protects the incarnation as as God, the Holy One, coming right. into the world as a human. Um, so, what are some your... of the problems with this? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's just, okay, maybe all maybe since you were about to
1: ask, I think probably like a similar question. Like, what are my thoughts on this? Um, you know, first of all, I I would like to see some maybe some scriptural evidence that this would in fact be true. I mean, sure, we'll we'll say that scripture attests to the fact that mary was a virgin pre christ's birth that doesn't you know she doesn't have to be immaculate immaculately conceived for that to be true <laughs> obviously um so uh, what jumps to mind immediately f- for me anyway is in my estimation this sort of undermines the incarn incarnation um, because and maybe there's a lot of reasons but If we're trying to protect Mary from, like, the stain of human corruption, like, so Mary is conceived in such a way that she was not born into original sin. So would that have meant that she continued in that state throughout her life, like having never been tainted by sin, having never been tempted to sin? Um, Because there's, I mean, on one hand, all have fallen short of God's glory, So that sort of maybe undermines what Paul has taught about like sinfulness, humanity's condition. Um, But like if Mary was to continue her not being born in a state of original sin, then does that mean that Jesus did not inherit? I mean, I know that's like a completely different conversation because he is Jesus. Like whether he he inherited a corrupt nature, had an incorruptible nature, that's a whole nother debate. Um, but if we're going to talk about Jesus becoming a man, um, being born into human flesh, would it not be born into a flesh that was like any other flesh, not some sort of immaculately yeah. conceived flesh? Is what I'm trying to say.
0: Right, because uh, yeah, no, and I think I think that's that's exactly my reaction too. Um, in terms of I'm like, whoa, what about the incarnation? Because Jesus takes his flesh from Mary. his his his, his when the Word becomes flesh, the human nature that Jesus takes comes from Mary obviously because she was his mom Um, and that's how human biology works (laughs) Um, and if her human nature if her flesh is special or different than my flesh then the flesh that Jesus inherited and lived in is different than mine and I don't mean he's different because he is human and God I mean His human nature is different than my human nature, um, which is a really, 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 really big problem for our salvation. Um, To put it in the words of, I always forget which Gregory it was. I think it was St. Gregory of Nyssa, but uh, one of the church fathers, I'm 99% sure it was him. If not, it was probably the other Gregory Cap Daddy, um, Cappadocian fathers. But... um, he says that what is not assumed is not healed. And he's he's speaking to the incarnation. He's speaking to the assumption of, of human nature by Christ as he comes into the world in the incarnation. So if if my nature, flesh, mind, heart, emotions, you know, all that kind of stuff, if it's not assumed by Christ, then... What Christ is saving is not my nature. He's saving some other nature. You know, he's saving Mary's immaculately conceived nature, which would only apply to Mary and him. Um, they would be, they would be my in, at least in the way I see this. They would be the only ones who have that nature, and all the other humans throughout history, because they have a different nature, they, they couldn't be saved by Christ in his work. Through the incarnation of redeeming human nature, because he doesn't—he doesn't just die on the cross. He doesn't just pay our debt, although that language is very much clearly in Scripture. But he is—he is redeeming our our nature, the human nature, um, and that's the problem that um, comes up. I think with the Immaculate Conception is you almost have a different form of Nestorianism. Nestorius was a heretic who, who, he basically had the human nature and the divine nature of Christ. They were kind of like, um, I had a professor in college, they were basically like two pieces of wood super glued together. So they were stuck together really close, but they weren't actually united in any way. And he, what Nestorius was trying to do was to defend the otherness of God and the holiness of God. But what ends up happening is you have, you have a, a Jesus who's basically like two different people. He's basically a human person conjoined to a divine person, not a divine person who takes on human flesh, which is what scripture actually teaches. And so the, the reason that was such a big deal to have this like human person attached to a divine person is if they aren't united into one person with two natures, then they he can't save us because he's not God in the flesh. He's just God plus flesh, which is just something totally different. He hasn't united himself to us in our fallen state in order to redeem us through his life, death, and resurrection. Um, and so it seems to me a very similar problem with the Immaculate Conception where the flesh Jesus is taking is just a different flesh because... Mary was conceived in this unique way, which means her flesh is unique. It doesn't share the same properties of everyone else's flesh. So Jesus can't save everyone else's flesh. So well, I think... Not only that, but have you yeah. have
1: you mentioned the fact that it seems like that would even undermine the miraculous nature of Christ's birth? I mean, does that take away from his virgin birth? You know what I mean? Like, not that that is... I don't like, think it...
0: Yeah, I don't know that it takes away from it in the sense of it's, it's, it's just like because you know i would think these are just two miracles that god did you know what i mean like right. like i don't think it makes uh, i maybe i'm maybe i misunderstand something like like i don't i don't think it's the case that mary is able to give birth to jesus because like i don't think that the immaculate conception causes the virgin birth if right. that makes sense like i think god causes the immaculate conception in order to prepare mary And then he causes the virgin birth, you know, as we see in in the beginning of the gospel stories and stuff. And then, so in that sense, I I don't think it necessarily would, um, in some way, take away from the the mystery or the wonder of the virgin birth. Um, But that's just based on my understanding of of it. It, it, Maybe maybe I maybe there's some piece of the doctrine I'm not familiar with that that might change my answer to that. But um, yeah.
1: sort of along these lines that we're talking about, I mean, we've talked about the, you know, the incarnation and the problematic nature of what this dogma brings to the table. Um, I think it's also just really helpful, at least in this conversation, to point out that, like, this is a relatively new dogma. So in our last episode um, on the papacy, we we mentioned um, pap- uh, papal infallibility, uh, the ability to, um, whatever they say from you know, the chair, uh, the, the position of Peter um, is authoritative. Um, and it was like in the 1870s that, um, you know, they had this sort of debate. Like Mary's Immaculate Conception isn't stated in the New, New Testament, uh, can't even really be deduced. It's not like there's something that we can even infer this from. Um, and this, you know, this these people sort of, the, the Pope and his curia, is that how you pronounce that? Like his um, special body that forms the central government. Um, they waived the absence of scriptural proof or a broad and ancient stream of tradition, um, you know. So basically, this this dogma is solely based on papal infallibility, um, which is a pretty big a pretty big thing to consider. You know, we're not talking about again. We're not saying that this is found in scripture. We're not even saying that this is because of tradition, even though there have been there has been some tradition. Um, the the foundation yeah. of why it's this not, is dogma
0: it's not like a universal it's not it's not like a well attested in the tradition the the tradition doesn't go back to the entirety of the early church kind of thing yeah so this
1: is 1800s pope pious one of the pope Piuses. i don't know one one of them um declared because of his papal infallibility that this was going to be a dogma to be held to be believed um and so i think that's worth mentioning in this conversation that this is uh yeah that's where we sort of get this today
0: yeah yeah and and i think that that's with 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 the immaculate conception i see two big issues one is the source of it in the church's teaching like you just said it's not in scripture it's not it's really not in scripture (laughs) Uh, i'm not saying that you know just because Scripture doesn't tell us something doesn't mean God didn't do it. You know what I mean? Right. If God wanted to to do this, He totally could. And if He wanted to do it without telling us, fine. Then we'll find out one day in heaven. But it's not in Scripture. It's not well attested in the tradition, and it kind of it, it, that leads to a shaky foundation to stake a dogmatic claim on, which again is what we're talking about here. We're not even just talking about whether or not you should believe in it for scriptural or historical reasons. We're saying this is being put up as a dogma on pretty shaky grounds, just exegetically and from the tradition, as well as the fact that there are some serious questions I have about what this doctrine or dogma does to the incarnation, which is pretty important because it's like the center of our entire faith and salvation, and without the incarnation, we're not saved, so I don't want to mess with the incarnation. (laughs) um so i think that that those are some really important things to consider like like the actual theological effects of this and then also the source of it being placed as a dogma um i think are two very heavy important things to to think about um yeah anything else on this one before we move on i don't think so okay so why don't you introduce the, the, the next one we'll talk about?
1: Yeah. So the second Marian dogma um, is going to be um, perpetual virginity. Correct, right? I just, yeah, okay. Yeah. I 2nd guess myself for a moment. No, yeah, that's the order um, we, we decided. <laughs> okay. So um, I guess it's as simple as it sounds. Um, this is a dogma of um, foundational belief that teaches that, um, you know, obviously she was a virgin prior to, you know, meeting Gabriel wasn't Gabriel the angel that came to her. Whatever angel I came to her and so. said, like, yeah. what's going to happen in the beginning of the Gospels? You know, she was a virgin. Has Jesus was a virgin when she had Jesus? Um, this dogma claims that throughout the scope of her life, um, up until her death, or maybe her not so death, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> she remained perpetually a virgin. So. Um, I don't know I don't know where you want to start with this one again can we see some scriptural support um that's always a good place to start and I I think as I sort of mentioned earlier about when we often have like knee-jerk reactions um we need to be careful because just because it like you said just because it's not in scripture I mean even the word trinity is not in scripture that doesn't mean we don't see it there um so we can't just jump to immediate conclusions we need to be um you know sort of careful to consider what it does say and what it what it doesn't say um so mm-hmm. do you have anything you want to add here about perpetual virginity?
0: No, I mean I think that the, the thing for me with this is I mean, for one, it it, it is pretty easy to understand, like it's a pretty self explanatory title. <laughs> um like you said, she she was always a virgin. Okay. Um I think that it's it is really interesting to you know, we're not talking about a certain interpretation of a scripture passage that leads to a different understanding of this or that between different churches. But we're talking about something that really just isn't in scripture. You know, like like we're never... What I mean by that is we're never told that she remained a virgin. We're never told that she... We're never actually told that she didn't. Um, but we're never told that she did. And I think this is where we come back to... Um, the whole issue of the perpetual virginity being a a dogma—you're making it—and I say you, I just mean you know—if you hold it as a dogma, you're saying you're saying that you must believe this about Mary in order to be a faithful Christian. And when we're talking about something that's just not in Scripture, that's a that's a not a good place to be in, I would say. Not because tradition doesn't mean anything, not because there's not more to theology than just the literal words of scripture, but because we're talking about something that is essential for the faith to to be rightfully understood.
1: Hey, uh, can I can I interject real quick? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I wanna I wanna read something. This is Matthew 1, 24 and twenty five. So when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife who was Mary and knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. And so to me, would, wouldn't this passage seem to indicate that like Mary was not perpetually a virgin uh, because, you know, Joseph had been considering divorcing Mary quietly. The angel comes and visits Joseph in a dream and says the baby within her isn't out of wedlock. It's not some other dude. She, he was conceived miraculously. Um, and so when he awoke, he took his wife, had some sort of, you know, actual marriage ceremony, some sort of actual union legally, but he did not know her intimately. He never had sexual relations with her until, until, which is a word that seems to imply that at some point he did know her, and it was after she had given birth to a son who was Jesus. So to me, wouldn't, wouldn't this seem to, like, imply
0: at least that, like, perpetual virginity sort of goes out the window? I think, I think the way it sounds, certainly that seems reasonable <laughs> to me to, to sort of take that and be like, well, that answers that. I think obvious, I, I don't know what this is, but obviously those who believe in perpetual virginity have some kind of answer to that because it's there in the text. So whatever that explanation is, I'm not saying it's a good one. I have no idea. Um, Clearly, the fact that this is still something that is taught and believed and debated shows that there's there must be a way around that interpretation. Whatever that way is, I, I don't know what it is. Um, I know there hmm. are other passages that talk about Jesus's brothers and and stuff like that and sisters. And, and the 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 I don't know all the ins and outs um, of you know the language some right. have
1: claimed that they come from like another marriage that Joseph had prior to
0: yeah or or marriage. their cousins um is another explanation I've heard of Jesus um not so so like stepbrothers and sisters or, or cousins you know and and those sorts of things I, I don't know how you know i'm not an expert or or not even that i just i haven't spent a lot of time hearing or debating or reading about, like, like Catholic apologists talking about the perpetual virginity, you know? Um, so I don't know exactly all of the—because, the, like I said, the Bible never tells us that Mary was not a virgin. There are these hints. Oh, well, if Joseph knew her after Jesus was born. Oh, if Jesus had brothers. You know, there are these hints that, that certainly, if we're understanding them correctly, and that's what they mean, then kind of— gives us our answer in terms of whether or not she was perpetually a virgin. Again, whatever those explanations are for those hints that a, that a Catholic or, or someone who believes in the perpetual virginity is going to use to, to address that, I, I can't say if it's compelling or not, but I'm sure there's something. I am curious. You know, I'm, I'm sure do, they don't do just maybe pretend think, that verse isn't there, you know.
1: Right. And I'm curious, maybe you have an answer to this. Um, what... I, I get what um, Immaculate Conception is trying to protect. Like, even if it creates more problems, I understand why, why it's a thing. What I don't understand is what this does, what Perpetual Virginity does. What, what, what's, what's the point? Why mm-hmm. have we made
0: it a dogma? Do you know? Do you know? So I, I feel bad. I can't remember his name. I, I listened to a podcast. Um, it's the, the Pints with Aquinas podcast by uh, Matt Fradd um he it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty fun podcast he's he's a catholic guy he does a lot of like interviews with different catholic uh people you know writers uh clergy um apologists all that kind of stuff he 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 did an interview on mary on mary and dogmas with a catholic apologist who whose name escapes me unfortunately I, i can't remember but um one of the things that he said when they were talking about perpetual virginity is that he's like, it's not about saying sex is gross, so let so you know, or sex is bad, so 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 Jesus's mom can't can't be having sex, but that he linked it to um, Mary being a type of the Ark of the Covenant, where God dwells within her. You know, God is is bared within the ark, the presence of God. You know, in this physical uh, container. It sounds weird to describe a human as a container, but I can't think of another word. Um, and then so like typologically, that points forward to Mary, who bears Jesus in her womb in, in a similar way, where, you know, in fleshed or whatever. Um, and so linking it to that sort of ceremonial, you know, she's she's set apart for a purpose and so you don't want to use you know, a ceremonial vessel for something that's not its purpose. Um, which was I, I'm probably butchering that and leaving a lot of important details out, but but that was sort of the argument and and it stuck out hmm. to me because sex is bad is not a good argument. And also because it it it's at least to me, trying to engage theologically with what's going on. I don't know if that's like the main explanation of why Catholics believe it that Catholics have, you know, Um, I don't know if it's just meant to, you know, signify her devotion to God, you know, in the sense of like, why would somebody stay single and celibate their whole life, you know, as a, as a monk or a nun or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, maybe it's something similar with that, not saying that sex within marriage is bad, but just saying that like Mary is fully devoted to God's will and, and submission in and submission to him. And 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 so like in, you know, it, maybe it's something like that. And, it, you know, I, I don't really know. And I don't see. You know, I don't see anything specific of like this accomplishes this very clear task. You know, holding this doctrine allows you to do this theologically or that, you, you know, like I I, I kind of see what with your question, just like, what's the point? You know, um, I I don't know if those kinds of things are maybe getting at it, but but I certainly don't see a clear, you know, point to it either that I can like confidently say, oh, this this is why you would believe that, or this is why you should, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I think it's definitely interesting. Um, yeah. And what's also kind of, you know, spicy, you know, as, as Protestants, maybe this is a spicy take, but I actually don't care if you believe Mary was a virgin or not, or perpetually, you, you need to believe right. she was a virgin when Jesus was born. Um, but right. I actually don't care. I, I don't think it's, a big deal to believe or not believe. Well, not really change anything in the perpetual virginity. Um, I, I, you know, if there are good reasons to believe it or good reasons not to believe it, then then you should you should follow those. You know what I mean? Uh, biblically or reasonably or theologically. But um, you you know, if there are good explanations for Joseph knowing her, if there are good explanations for Jesus having brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, it doesn't actually bother me if you believe Mary was it was perpetually a virgin or not what bothers me to bring it back is the whole dogma thing right because you're not now saying this is an opinion that you're free to have and this is why i think you should have this opinion you're saying you need to believe this or else you're not a faithful christian and that's where we get into the the thorny bit of the problem of right you know, not so sure about that you know because of all the things we've talked about um
1: i did look it up and at least from what it looks like i'm seeing um mary like jesus was without sin
0: okay in her life yeah i i think i've heard that i think um a lot of like i'm trying to think like like liturgical like prayers and stuff to mary in like in like roman context or um or orthodox context you know i, I you know, well often there'll be prayers or hymns addressed to like the ever virgin sinless you know kind of Theotokos or you, you know something like that and so um, I I thought that was the case, but I didn't know for sure. So I didn't want to I didn't like, want to like say that it. if if it wasn't right. true. But um, yeah, and I, I mean I think that that would be I think would go back to uh, that, that, I feel like we sort of attach that to questions about the Immaculate Conception. Right. Um, right. I just but, forgot to bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, that's helpful though to sort of clarify. Um, yeah.
1: So do we want to transition maybe to our third and
0: last one? Do you want to give us an overview? Sure. So the, the bodily assumption of Mary is the final dogma that we're going to talk about. Um, and basically, um, I, don't, I don't know a lot of the details around like where this comes from or, or when this comes from. But um, basically, she was assumed into heaven. Um, she didn't die the way that most people die but she was assumed up into heaven. She was taken into heaven um, directly by God and instead of instead of dying a normal death. I, I don't know if it's like when it came time for her to die, she was taken into heaven in this way, or if it, it or you know, I don't know the timeline as far as, you know, how old she was, how long after Jesus' life and stuff, but um, that's basically the idea is that At the end of her life on Earth, Mary was assumed into heaven as opposed to dying a natural, physical death here on Earth. Um, So, yeah. What are your, what's like, what's a like reaction to that that you have?
1: I mean, just kind of like, just kind of like perpetual virginity. I don't really see it as like, it doesn't really affect or change anything. I mean, we've, we've seen, I mean, like, is it Enoch? And Elijah, I think, who were both I think sort of like too, yeah. taken taken away um, from earth and into the presence of the Lord without experiencing, as we would define, death. Um, I also question whether this is in scripture or not. Um, I don't think we have any real solid basis um, as far as like, you know, a, 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 p- a place where we can say, look, this says Mary was assumed bodily into heaven. And that's Okay. Uh, I know that there are some passages that people will allude to, but but it's not. It's in regard to other things. Like so, beca- it's almost like this tier. Like because we believe this ab- about Mary, we believe this about Mary, and we believe this about Mary. Thus, when we read this, we can infer mm. that it's speaking of Mary, and, and you know it's talking about like how you know how in in um, Genesis three fifteen, there's that uh, proto-evangelian. Um, you know the your uh, the seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent, and um, because Jesus was that seed um, that like and what he did and who he was because he was sinless and he was assumed into heaven, that Mary who is also sinless and conceived um, immaculately must have also been assumed in the mm. same way. Again, it's all sort of like inference, and I don't know if even that's what everybody believes, but it's at yeah, least some of know. what I saw on right. this. Um, scriptural basis for this doctrine and so like again i have problems with those things if that's how you're going to get to those conclusions Mm -hmm. Um, i also have a problem with the fact that it's a dogma and one that was i think a relatively even more recent dogma than the other two Mm. Um, that that is again more problematic than if you just believe that she was because again if you do believe that she was assumed bodily into heaven that does have scriptural warrant. There were other people yeah. in history that have had that happen as opposed to the perpetual virginity thing, immaculate conception thing. Um, you know, I think it's a little, a little more hazy on those two, but this one's like, this has happened in scripture yeah. and it, it's, we know because it said so. Um, but like when you start to define this as dogma, as that, which must be believed, I think that is problematic because again, how, like, the Trinity I get, the resurrection I get, other dogmas I get. But how does this really change or affect the way that you live your Christian life? How is this going to be a foundational doctrine of the church? It probably, I do, it I probably would that. if
0: you come from a tradition who has a high view of Mary. And, you know, like I said, there are liturgical prayers and hymns for Mary in 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 some traditions. So, so there's a little more like day-to-day kind of impact that Mary has on an Orthodox person right. or a Catholic person compared to a Protestant person. Um, whether or not that's good or bad is kind of beside the point. Like, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I do think, like, that might be a, a sort of a more Catholic response is like, oh, well, the reason you don't think that these things about Mary matters is because you just don't have a good relationship with Mary. You know what I mean? Um, but that's that's kind of besides the point. Like, I, I totally see what you're getting and it, it's kind of interesting, too. Like, I would say that this one is the most plausible to me. Right. Because there is scriptural warrant, like you said, humans who are faithful people who serve the Lord in their lives for some reason (laughs) that we're not really told why, at least twice in history are assumed into heaven (laughs) um, without going through physical, physical death. So this is something that can happen, has happened. And I think I mentioned this kind of Like, tongue-in-cheek to you, like, when we were talking about this episode a few days ago, but, like, honestly, if there was a person, if I had to pick a person who would most likely be assumed in heaven, along with Enoch and Elijah, like, in the Bible, like, it would probably be Mary, the mother of God, and, like, who else you know honestly like i, I mean there, there would probably be multiple choices if you were like pick someone to be assumed but like mary would probably be pretty high on the list like so to For me sure. it's like yeah. this is the most plausible and again i you're i 100 not, not to sound like a broken record because we're both just saying this again and again sure why is it a dogma and more importantly right. than why <laughs> is it a dogma what happens when you make it a dogma i, I think is hmm. really the problem because like you said like I don't know the, the details of like why the church made it a dogma or if you're going to make a theological argument for it, are you going to base it off of the Immaculate Conception and this and that and that? Because like I would have some problems with that argumentation because I have issues with the Immaculate Conception, so I'm not going to use that as the basis for what I believe about the bodily assumption. But just taking it on its own, the the idea that Mary was assumed bodily, I don't have a problem with it. Um, Right. I have a problem with saying you need to believe this as as true or else you're mistaken or not even just mistaken, but you're mistaken about a dogma of of the faith, because if I'm wrong about her um, bodily assumption, then I'm wrong about it, you know, and and whether I whatever, whether I believe she did or didn't experience that, whether or not I'm wrong about it is something that I think can be okay. Without well, maybe, yeah,
1: yeah, maybe it's helpful real quick to bring this into Protestant circles because maybe, maybe people are having a hard time with the word dogma and why we're having a little bit of you know a hiccup with that. Um, let's just pretend, you know, in our Protestant circles, you know, we have the resurrection, we have uh, the Trinity, we have um, you know, creation ex nihilo, maybe like I I can't remember what all the doc the dogmas might be, but then let's just say that we are going to make. Pre-male dispensationalism, a dogma. Um, like we're gonna have some problems with that. There are gonna obviously people who disagree, there's many different theological beliefs about the end times. We had an entire episode devoted to the end times. But if we were Check going it to out. take it was, good the, one. It was <laughs> if you're gonna take that though and proclaim and, and say that you must believe this, that this is an essential, and to not believe it is to not be Orthodox, right? That's going to be incredibly problematic, and it's it's just not a in Protestant circles. That's just not something that we're going to proclaim to be a dogma. Um, and a, a lot of this, just like we said in the last episode, and we probably said a couple times here already, is what it basically comes down to: authority. Is where do we mm-hmm. where do we get our doctrine? Where do we get our belief? Where do we get our practice from as Christians? And our our supreme authority is Scripture. Right. That's where we go first and foremost. Obviously. Tradition plays an important role, as there are some things that are birthed out of tradition, the tradition of the church. Um, but supremely, more than anything else, is we 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 look to scripture and we submit to scripture. Um, and so, yeah, whether whether you believe, excuse me, whether you believe these things or not, um, we we need to be at least cognizant of of those right. authorities and how much emphasis we place on them. Yeah. And it seems like the Catholic Church in this instance is, uh, I think overstepping some bounds by placing these three things as dogmas. Mm. I think that's a fair assumption. Yeah. And
0: oh, I mean, to use that word assumption <laughs> <laughs> that that's a fair assumption. <laughs> um, I think, I think to just sort of wrap up, um, I, I would just want to say like in light of all these things, um, I, I think as Protestants, it's really a shame. What's sort of happened to, Mary in our theological discourse and hmm. devotional discourse. Um, particularly, I would say this applies most especially to sort of, you know, the evangelical slice of things. Um, but I don't think it's unique to them. But I feel like we've really lost Mary, like, completely. And I think that's really bad. Yeah. Because, first of all, she's in scripture so you know she exists <laughs> in the revelation of god and she's not just anybody you know she's jesus's mother you know the archangel archangel comes and proclaims to her that she's been chosen um god's favor has smiled on her that she's going to bear the the messiah she's going to bear the the word made flesh in her womb and she's going to raise god as a as a child
1: can you imagine and like
0: that's a yeah. big. That's a big deal, and you, you know, you know what her response is: is that all generations shall call me blessed. Like, she's in in first century. Uh, you know, I forget where Nazareth or was she from Nazareth, or did they move to Nazareth later? I don't know. I feel yeah, bad. I Bethlehem, <laughs> Bethlehem. <laughs> where uh, this is bad. <laughs> um, in in first century Israel, in first century Palestine. She is sitting there hearing what the angel is proclaiming that God is going is is going to do in and through and with her and her response is that the the entire future human race is going to look back on this moment and call me blessed because I am experiencing this which is first of all incredibly like uh perceptive profound. I think profound thank you Um, And And bear in mind, she's like a teenager probably. (laughs) She's not like 30. Right. Yeah. And, and on top of that, she is such like, I think one of, if not the most excellent pictures of faithfulness and submission to God's will, like how does she respond to this unimaginable visitation from the angel? And, And, I'm kind of harping on this and hyping it up to say, like, do we ever approach the story of the Nativity? Do we ever approach, you know, the beginning of Luke, the beginning of Matthew with an eye to Mary in this light? You know, and one of the most exciting things that I think when I first started praying through the daily office in the Book of Common Prayer Every night in the in evening prayer, you you recite the Magnificat, the the song of Mary that she right. sings, um, either when she's with Elizabeth or, or right after. It's it has where she says, "All it's generations will there. call me blessed." Um, right. And praying through that night, and you know, every time I do evening prayer, it it, it it's taking a piece of scripture that I think is easy to overlook because of everything else that's going on in those early chapters of of Luke, you know, Um, and obviously the highlight being (laughs) the arrival of the Messiah, and the incarnate Lord, which is exactly what the focus should be. Um, But I don't think we need to lose the other important things. Like Mary, as, you know, our mother in the faith, in the way that Paul is our father, and, you know, we could, you know, look to these, Giants of the faith to, to learn and as our example, I think is losing that is a huge loss that is totally not warranted by being a faithful, orthodox, biblical Christian. And I think that unfortunately right. that has happened, I think because of some of these oversteps that Rome has done throughout the centuries, the, the response by those Protestants, by those who are not who, who want to not be Rome is maybe to swing too far the other direction, and we just ignore her. And I think that, I mean, I no, like I don't think we should do that. You know, I think that sh- there's a reason that, like I, you know, I think I once tweeted this jokingly that like, like, we like Protestants need to recover the title Blessed Virgin Mary. You know, I think I only ever really hear Catholics saying that, um, and I, I think that. She is the Blessed Virgin Mary because look at what she experienced and look at what she teaches us through her life. And I think that that's something that we need to recover as people who come from traditions who maybe has lost that. And I think that that needs to be the center on what we believe about Mary and stuff if we're talking about doctrines or dogmas about her.
1: Do we, do we need to do retrieval for the sake of renewal? I think with, we do. With Mary? I think okay. we do, and I think we need we'll, renewal. We'll start the Center for
0: Marian Renewal. I will gladly start that with you. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Well, I just, is that's there ha- anything
1: else that you. No, I just add?
0: wanted to conclude my thoughts with that because that's one of the reasons that I find discussions on the Marian dogma so interesting is to sort of think through, like, what Mary, the significance of Mary, um, both in terms of how that's been expressed in ways that I don't necessarily fall behind other ways that I'm not really sure what I think and other ways that I think are really important. And I think these kinds of conversations really allow that. So hopefully, hopefully this was as interesting to listen to as it was to, to think about and to engage in as, as far as these, these, these conversations and, you know, we'd love to continue them as always, um, with, with you guys. So hopefully Hopefully yeah, hopefully this is an interesting and thought provoking episode to really kinda of think through what it means to dogmatize something that doesn't yeah. need to be dogma. But then also the response to that not necessarily being a knee jerk reaction, but being more of a or rejection. Or a rejection. Yeah. And certainly not a knee jerk rejection if you're gonna reject it. Um but but yeah, I don't know. I just I really appreciate these kinds of conversations and, and thinking through these things in a way that I didn't really ex- get exposure to growing up but that um i think is a much more well-rounded way to think through them so hopefully that kind of came out in the way we were we were talking
1: right. cool well i agree so we'll close with a word of prayer and uh call it a day so this is called the mediator from um from the valley of vision so uh, everlasting creator Our Heavenly Father, I I have destroyed myself. My nature is defiled. The powers of my soul are degraded. I am vile, miserable, strengthless, but my hope is in you. If ever I am saved, it will be by thy goodness, uh, by uh, undeserved and astonishing goodness, not by mercy alone, but by abundant mercy, not by grace, but by exceeding riches of grace. And such thou hast revealed, promised, exemplified, in thoughts of peace and not of evil. Thou hast devised means to rescue me from sin's perdition, to restore me to happiness, honor, and safety. I bless thee for the everlasting covenant, for the appointment of a mediator. I rejoice that he failed not, nor was discouraged, but accomplished the work that you had given him to do, and said on the cross, it is finished. I exalt in the thought that that thy justice is satisfied, thy truth established, Thy law magnified, and a fountain is laid for my hope. I look to a present and personal interest in Christ and say, Surely he has borne my griefs, carried my sorrows, won my peace, and healed my soul. Justified by his blood I am saved by his life. Glorifying in his cross, I bow to his scepter. Having his spirit I possess his mind. Lord, grant that my religion may not be occasional and partial but universal, influential, effective. And may I always continue in thy words as well as thy works so that I may may reach my end in peace. Amen. Amen. So we thank you so much uh, for for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, hit us up on Twitter at Doxology Podcast. You can find us at Instagram, also at Doxology Podcast. You can email us at DoxologyPodcast at gmail.com. We love your feedback, questions, episode ideas, criticism. Uh, Leave us some reviews. If you use Apple Podcasts, if you use a, a, a platform where you can leave reviews, we love hearing feedback. Um, sign up for our newsletter. Check out Logos.com slash uh, Um We would love to hear from you. Logos would love to hear from you. Um, so, peace.